European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 46. Focus Issue, Novel Oral Anticoagulants, or NOACs, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Between Scelia and Charybdis, combining anticoagulants with platelet inhibitors and outcome. Anticoagulation is an established approach to prevent intervascular clot formation. Unfortunately, whenever we inhibit platelets and or coagulation cascade, we not only reduce the risk of thrombosis formation, but also increase the risk of bleeding. Although compared to vitamin K antagonists, novel oral anticoagulants, or NOACs, are an important step forward. This is still no free lunch as we've had to learn from the most recent Galileo trial. Quite possibly, the novel Factor 11 antagonists will mean further progress in this matter, but right now, we have to use NOACs. As discussed in the viewpoint, non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulants beyond atrial fibrillation. What did we learn from Compass and Commander HF? Gregory Lipp and colleagues from the University of Liverpool in the United Kingdom note that NOACs have been a game-changer in our management of many thromboembolic conditions. Their relative efficacy, safety and convenience, rapid onset and offset of action, fewer drug and food interactions, and relatively predictable pharmacokinetics compared with oral vitamin K antagonists or vitamin K antagonists, has accelerated their use. Due to their advantages, their use has been investigated in other medical conditions beyond atrial fibrillation and venous thromboembolism. See European Heart Journal 2017, March 21, 38. Most importantly, a combination with aspirin has shown promising results in patients with chronic coronary syndromes, although the risk of bleeding increases. In patients with heart failure, Commander missed its primary endpoint of myocardial infarction, stroke or death, but a sub-analysis showed benefits for stroke. The indication of NOACs keep expanding. Combined inhibition of the coagulation cascade and platelets is appealing as both fibrin and activated thrombocytes are required to form a solid clot leading to acute coronary or cerebrovascular occlusion. The expanding indication of a combination of NOACs with antiplatelet agents has been investigated in the fast-track contribution, safety and efficacy outcomes of double versus triple antithrombotic therapy in patients with atrial fibrillation following percutaneous coronary intervention. A systematic review and meta-analysis of non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulant-based randomized clinical trials by Marco Valgemili and colleagues from the University of Bern in Switzerland. The authors performed a systematic review and meta-analysis and analyzed the safety and efficacy of a double versus triple antithrombotic therapy in patients with atrial fibrillation and acute coronary syndromes or those who underwent percutaneous coronary intervention or PCI. The primary safety endpoint of the International Society of Thrombosis and Hemostasis, or ISTH, for major or clinically relevant non-major bleeding, was lower with double compared to triple antithrombotic therapy across all bleeding definitions. This was counterbalanced by an increase of stent thrombosis with an odds ratio of 1.59 and a trend towards a higher risk of myocardial infarction with double antithrombotic therapy. There were no significant differences in all-cause and cardiovascular death, stroke and major adverse cardiovascular events. The comparison of NOAC-based double antithrombotic therapy versus vitamin K antagonist triple antithrombotic therapy yielded consistent results and a reduction of intracranial hemorrhage of 67%. 
Thus, double antithrombotic therapy, particularly if consisting of NOAC instead of vitamin K antagonist and P2Y12 inhibitor, is associated with a reduction of bleeding, including major and intracranial hemorrhages. This benefit, however, is counterbalanced by a higher risk of cardiac, mainly stent-related but not cerebrovascular, ischemic occurrences. These clinically relevant findings are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by Renato Lopez from the Duke Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA. Adding a low dose of NOAC to aspirin in patients with stable atherosclerotic disease reduces the reoccurrence of cardiovascular disease but increases the risk of major bleeding, but the lifetime risk-benefit ratio has not been assessed. In another fast track, estimating individual lifetime benefit and bleeding risk of adding rivaroxaban to aspirin for patients with stable cardiovascular disease results from the COMPASS trial. Frank, Visseren and colleagues from the University Medical Center in Utrecht in the Netherlands sought to investigate the individual lifetime treatment benefit and harm of adding rivaroxaban to aspirin in 35,529 patients with stable cardiovascular disease of the COMPASS trial and SMART cohort. Predicted individual gain in life expectancy free of stroke or myocardial infarction from added low-dose rivaroxaban had a medium of 16 months, while predicted individualized lifetime lost in terms of major bleeding had a medium of 2 months. Thus, there is a wide distribution in lifetime gain and harm from adding low-dose rivaroxaban to aspirin in individual patients with stable cardiovascular disease. Using these lifetime models, benefits and bleeding risks can be weighed for each individual patient, which could facilitate treatment decisions in clinical practice. This novel analysis is further discussed in an editorial by Gregory Lipp from the University of Liverpool in the United Kingdom. Anemia is a relative common condition and may be related to iatrogenic in nature, multimorbidity, iron deficiency and heart failure as well as sickle cell disease, among others. If moderate to severe, it may require transfusion, but recently this has been used with more caution. In a clinical research paper entitled Oral Anticoagulation Among Atrial Fibrillation Patients with Anemia, an Observational Cohort Study, Anders Nissen-Bonder and colleagues from the Copenhagen University Hospital, Helev Gentoffer in Denmark, investigate the risk of stroke and thromboembolism and major bleeding associated with anemia among 18,734 patients with atrial fibrillation of the Danish registry. Among those, 20% had mild anemia and 14% had moderate to severe anemia. Moderate to severe anemia was associated with increased risk of major bleeding and 9.1% lower medium time in the treatment range compared to no anemia. Use of oral anticoagulation was associated with reduced risk of stroke and thromboembolism among patients without or mild anemia, but not in those with moderate to severe anemia. Oral anticoagulation was associated with a 5.3% increase standardized absolute risk of major bleeding among AF patients with moderate to severe anemia. Thus, anemia is common in patients with atrial fibrillation and associated with major bleeding and poor anticoagulation control. Oral anticoagulation was associated with more major bleeding, but no reduction in risk of stroke or thromboembolism in those with moderate to severe anemia. These novel findings are put into clinical context in an editorial by Daniel Duskimide and Christopher Bode from the University of Freiburg in Germany. In a clinical review article entitled Cabins, Castles and Constant Hearts, 
the current state of rhythm control therapy in patients with atrial fibrillation, Paulus Kirchhoff and colleagues from the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom note that recent innovations have the potential to improve rhythm control therapy in patients with atrial fibrillation. Controlled trials provide new evidence on the effectiveness and safety of rhythm control therapy, particularly in patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure, while outcomes in the remaining patients is less clear. However, rhythm control certainly improves symptoms and quality of life in patients with symptomatic atrial fibrillation and can be safely delivered in elderly patients with comorbidities. Atrial fibrillation ablation maintains sinus rhythm more effectively than antiarrhythmic drug therapy, but recurrent atrial fibrillation remains common, highlighting the need for better patient selection. Antiarrhythmic drugs remain effective after atrial fibrillation ablation, underpinning the synergistic mechanisms of action of atrial fibrillation ablation and antiarrhythmic drugs. Atrial fibrillation ablation is safe and appears to improve left ventricular function in a subset of patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure. Data on the prognostic effect of rhythm control therapy are heterogeneous without clear signal of either benefit or harm. Thus, rhythm control has acceptable safety and improves quality in life of patients with symptomatic atrial fibrillation, including in elderly populations with stroke risk factors. There is a clinical need to better stratify patients for rhythm control therapy. Further studies are needed to determine whether rhythm control therapy, and particularly atrial fibrillation ablation, improves left ventricular function and reduces atrial fibrillation-related complications. The manuscript also contains two discussion forum contributions. In a first one entitled Levetiracetamon and Non-Vitamin K Antagonist Oral Anticoagulants in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation and Epilepsy, a Reasonable Combination, Tim von Oetzen and colleagues from the Johannes Kepler Universität Linz in Linz, Austria, comment on the 2018 European Heart Rhythm Association Practical Guide on the use of non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulants in patients with atrial fibrillation by Jan Steffel from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland and colleagues. Steffel et al. respond to von Oetzen et al. in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.